I want to start, uh, this is lesson number three, and we have been talking, of course, about the tabernacle, and we are looking at a drawing, as you all know, of the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah glory of God, uh, the uh, lamp, the torch, the main uh, essence of God as it sets upon this tabernacle and rests upon uh, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I'm not going to get back into the mercy seat. I believe I've already covered that in lesson two to where uh, you can have a great enough understanding to recognize what that represents, of course, being Christ and how Christ is the merciful plan of God that was crucified before the foundation of the world. Now, I'll just close that thought with this. You will never find Christ called the eternal Son of God. And we only fall into error and false teachings or man-made dogmas and doctrines whenever we use unbiblical words to express our faith. And he is called the only begotten, which means this day I have begotten thee. Christ is the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, which means the thought process of God. And therefore nothing could be made without him. And that's what he expresses. He says, for without me was not anything made that was made, because you cannot make anything until first you think about it or think it through. And so he was with God in the beginning. This is not a separate person. This is the seven spirits of God that are before the throne, so to speak. And so the Logos is God made all things by speaking, and the visual or the empowerment of thought is speech. And so Christ, who was spoken, uh, crucified from the beginning of the world in the mind of God, the thought of God, that should you fail and fall, he already had a plan. That, more than anything else, should speak to us about what we're looking at at the tabernacle and what we're looking at for those of us that never had a mother or a father that knew how to rightly raise us and pass down the terrible curse that was placed upon them, not by God, but by their ignorance, by their forefathers, uh, that we struggle with understanding and believing that God loves us. You need to first rec recognize that he, before he ever created you, wanted so badly to make sure that you made it to this city that he has prepared for those that love him, that he had already prepared an antidote before he made you. That should let you know, does God love me? Does God love my children? God loves. God is love. And the only way that he can protect that love is in it to remain pure, and I'm going to go a little deep here possibly, is you need to recognize you can't think a thought God has not created nor thought. I always say thunk. And uh, he created both good and evil. God knows how to be evil. God knows how to be good. And so when he sealed his essence, when, when, he, when he guarded this glory of his, and this is what we are looking at as an expression of the glory of God that lived in this house of skin, he had to do it in such a way that it could not be permeated nor impregnated with any impurities. Otherwise, what he has expressed to us is that after he went through every possible venue of good and evil, the only overruling force that would build an eternal kingdom that would stand without end was love. And therefore, he cannot allow anything. This is why love is the most powerful thing he gives to us. You'll know they're my disciples, not because they speak in tongues together, not because they go to church together, but you'll know my true disciples, the love they have one for another. 
and oh man, I could run down so many rabbit trails after 33 years of being in church, and some of you, I'd just be singing to the choir. Not this false churchy love that we put on at church. Not this, hey buddy, hey I love you, hey this, hey that, but caring when it's needed. Someone expressed on our journey, we just were in the Middle East, how they felt cared for by some of the other men that stepped in, and that's love. And so, uh, so what we're looking at here is we're looking at God giving us a plan, and he is expressing what I have just tried to express, how his essence must be protected. And I know I've said this, but I want to get it on tape for new listeners. Uh, years ago, I saw a bug light, B-U-G light, and as bugs were flying in, the, the light would make zap, 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 and the bugs were gone. And it reminded me of years ago, uh, I had a phone call to the church I was working at, and it was a woman highly possessed. She began to lie to me over the phone, and I said, you're lying, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, ended up she was uh, into uh, satanic rituals and Satanism, and she was highly possessed of demons. If you've never worked with anyone like that, uh, you don't need to worry about it if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Demons don't worry me. Nutty people do. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I can try to control demons, okay? Nutty people, maybe. Anyway, so uh, what she expressed to me was her and her counterpart, their job was to pick up hitchhikers, and that's as far as I'll go with that story. They both OD'd at the same time on some bad heroin. And uh, this goes back. It's funny how things cyclical uh, make the headlines and seem to come to the forefront for a while and then fade away. But this is back about the time whenever uh, everyone was talking about, you know, when they died, they went to a tunnel of light. Anyway, and I had questions about that. So she expressed this to me. She said, yeah, she said, we both were headed towards this brilliant white light. And long story short, they were sent back. And her counterpart, male part, said to her, uh, when they came to or whatever happened, they were talking about how they both had this pretty much same experience, and yet they were turned around. And he made an astounding statement. He said, do you know why we weren't allowed to go into the light? And she said, no. She said, he said, because we would have been destroyed. So that bug light allowed me to understand God's essence that light is not saying, come here, you filthy mosquito. I want to zap you. But the light cannot allow anything that's not of its essence into it. It's simply protecting its purity. I could rant on that for a while. I hope you understand. If you got that, then those of you that believe God's against you, not so at all. If he was against you, you'd already have had the earth open up and the You've been swallowed just like the sons of Korah. God is for you. And God's love is unquestionable. He has proven that. His benefits and blessings are 100% conditional. And until you learn to get out of the American mindset, and I love Americans and I love Christians, we have fallen into the fallacy of because we believe something, it's real. And we... Uh, medicate our minds with our own belief system even though we do not lay it on the blueprint of God's plan. Now, he's the judge of all that. So what we're looking at is we're looking at this Ark of the Covenant where the glory of God rested and the whole plan is the fact that it is covered by a house of skin and it has a ritual whereby you only 
one person can enter in to the presence of where the ark is. Now, if I would turn the lights out in this auditorium right now and uh, maybe block a little bit of light coming in from under the doors, uh, it would be pretty dark in here because there's no windows. And that's the way the tabernacle was. And so whenever we go into the holy place, which is that two-thirds that separates the holy place from the holy of holies, which is this veil that you see that with an artist's rendition is cut away. And on this side of the veil is the altar of incense, which I will give you a spiritual mystery. It's interesting because whenever we go to the book of Hebrews, even though after the Old Testament gives us 42 consecutive chapters about the tabernacle, book of Hebrews spells out all of this ritual, all of these items of furniture we're about to learn about, but leaves out this altar. Go learn. And so what we're looking at is that God's plan is he's not against man. You do not see him coming out of the tabernacle and slaying people, but rather you see him giving them a plan because he desires to be with them. But they do not understand that his very essence, no man has seen God at any time. Why? Because Moses said it. No man can see God and live. Besides that, he's invisible. And that's why the Bible goes on and contends with us and says, when Moses said, show me your glory, that God says himself says to Moses, he says, you can't see my face and live. You can only see my hinder parts. And so he shows him his back, and we know that story. It's the 13 attributes of mercy. And so what we recognize is the fact, when we get to the book of Revelations, the Bible says that all these men that are still on the earth that have fought against this alien nation that will come down in the New Jerusalem, they, they says now they run to the dens and the rocks, and they said, let us hide from the face of he that is to come. The face of God is always judgment to anyone that's guilty. And this is the plan of God, that we don't come into his presence guilty. But we have been given a way that our sins have been eradicated and they have been covered. So the plan of God is to get us into his presence. And in the middle of this dark place, remember what the Bible tells us in the New Jerusalem? It had no need of the sun, for the lamb therein is the light. And so what you are looking at is you are looking at this ark with the glory of God resting on it and the illumination. And you'll notice that everything in this room is gold-covered walls. What a brilliant place. So what we've learned then is the fact that his plan as we look at this is how do we approach God? Uh, we know that this cloud of glory covered uh, the tabernacle, we have seen uh, all of the scriptures in the last uh, lesson and found out the ark uh, was the place that God started. It is actually the first item that he had them build, and we went into why. And then we see where God spoke to them. He says in Exodus 25, 22, speaking of the ark, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give thee in commandment and to the children of Israel. So what we are recognizing as we mentioned and got into lesson two, what typology is, 
we're recognizing now that each Old Testament scripture is a shadow or a prefigurement of what will be expressed in the New Covenant. The New Covenant is actually, when we get into the New Testament, the New Testament's two-thirds of scripture used in the Old Testament that God assumed you would know the story that surrounded it, and so by him just simply expressing the one scripture, you would understand the story. So in Mark 9 and 7, there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. So this is exactly what we're seeing. This cloud that put its blessing on the house of skin, that said, I will abide in. Now God gives a sign to John that this is my tabernacle. This is my heart. And this was only a sign for John. If you were there, you didn't see it. You didn't see a dove coming down. This was a sign for John that he would know who the Messiah was. Uh, the cloud of God overshadows. In Exodus 40, verse 34, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses wasn't able to enter in. And then we have mentioned in Mark chapter 9, jumping ahead to the New Testament, after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, John, leads them to the high mountain. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Now, I don't think, especially those of us that have been raised in one step removed from Roman religion, and I'm not saying that to knock people. Please, don't anyone misinterpret my heart. But I don't think because of how we, most of us that have been raised in denomination, uh, you know, most of us went to the first church of the Jalapena or the second church of the Rutabaga, whatever denomination we came through, you've got to remember it was just one step removed from Rome. Now, Rome's never been our mother. It's always been our enemy. Rome's who stamped us out, created a new religion. Because I believe it, it's real. And so when we see this, and there was a cloud that overshadowed them. Who? Three Jewish boys. First off, we have no idea how they thought because we don't think like a Jew. We think like an American sports fan. But listen to what the voice says. Now, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy mind, all thy heart, all thy soul. I'm setting this up to where we can digest this voice. And this voice says, don't listen to me. Listen to him. You know, that's a pretty big statement. Did you catch it? Here's God. Don't listen to me. Listen to Him. Hear Him. Interesting, in the Old Testament, a theophany just simply means a manifestation of God. In the Old Testament, we had many theophanies. In the New Testament, there are none because God's not the author of confusion. In the Old Testament, we had God speaking from a burning bush. And I can walk through the list just as you could. In the Old Testament, we had wheel inside a wheel. In the Old Testament, we had the angel of the Lord. Funny, all that stops when we get to the New Testament. Because it's led us to he that was the example of all the shadows of the prefigurement. So, I want to look for a moment the life of Christ as it was prefigured by the ark. Now, I know you've thought of this, and there are no books out. My wife prods me continually, write a book, write a book, write a book. 
I'm going to say, who's going to pay the bills while I'm writing the book? You don't just write a book in a day. But the spiritual typology, which I'm sure you have thought of as you've studied, is the Ark of the Covenant, if you'll remember, was taken by the enemy. As Christ descended into the pit of the enemy. But there was victorious and brought again. And what we look at is we look at we follow the ark as a type of Christ. And those of you that went with us, we stood there over the Kidron Valley, of which she called the northern section there as we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is actually where the last battle is fought. Uh, major battles in Armageddon. And so what we're looking at here in 2 Samuel chapter 15 is we're looking at, and all the county wept with a loud voice, country wept with a loud voice. And all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron. And all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Okay, so if we're going in the way of the wilderness, then we just found out we have left the eastern gate and we're heading into the Judean wilderness, which means we are crossing over the Kidron Valley and we are headed now up the Mount of Olives to get to the Judean wilderness, the same pathway that the Laazel goat, the scapegoat, was led out of the temple. And so... And lo, Zadok also and all the Levites, here come the priests with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God, and they set down the Ark of God, and Abathar went up until the people had done passing out of the city. So when the rejected king has to leave in the Old Testament, has to leave Jerusalem, he leaves by way of the Mount of Olives, the Ark of the Covenant. And when Jesus had spoken these words in John chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kidron, for it was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. We will see how the life of Christ, portions of it, are exemplified by the journeys of the ark. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. Now, you'll already come up with the scripture thought in your mind. And this is why we wash our minds with the water of the word. How can two walk together except they agree? And the truth of the matter is that until you have a word-based floppy disk between your two ears, you can't think like God. So what we do is we reprogram our minds with the word, not our thoughts, not our preferences, not our ideas. And I know how judgmental this is going to sound. God's really not interested in anything other than your obedience. And obedience only comes through having programmed yourself with the Word of God. I cannot emphasize that enough. And to show the importance of that, then we understand why all these witty inventions the God of the airwaves has given us to keep our minds to have time to do nothing except to entertain themselves. And I've said it before, you can read the Bible completely through in 15 minutes a day. You can go to our website and pull up the readings, and you can follow us in the readings of the sections that have been handed down for thousands of years. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. So I'm sure your mind has already pulled up the scripture where Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, says to them, Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall flee. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. They're taking the ark. 
Then Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered abroad. This was done that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So I'm just simply sharing a few thoughts with you, and certainly not uh, exhaustive, of how as you start to study the tabernacle, it is the pattern. I've mentioned to you already that uh, in a Jewish thought process, the rock, the foundation stone, the navel of the earth is there where the temple was built, man was created, and then that was the first spot that totally solidified on the earth crust, and then everything worked out from there. But it's also a capstone and a monument, monumental uh, key to all mysteries in the fact that from there to the Kabbalah cube that today all of your Muslims as we are in the first week or ten days of uh, Ramadan are marching around as they made uh, Mecca to uh, 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 Arabia it's 666 nautical miles from the temple footstep to the cube and then you can take that and it's the same amount of miles from the foot of the temple to the capital of Babylon as the year that it was that Babylon conquered the temple. You can start at the step of the temple where it sat and go to the capital of the Britain, Great Britain in the days that Allenby uh, relinquished control over Jerusalem to the Jew and it's that exact same amount of miles from there. There are so many mysteries hidden when we get into the tabernacle and later the temple, it is the pattern of creation. And I've shared with you that uh, they now say this formation of the universe is not circular, but it, to describe it, and I cannot remember the name of the uh, figure, like a hexagon or whatever, octagon, but it's way beyond that, that the universe is shaped as a cube inside of a cube with all corners joined at each side, and that is exactly what the Holy of Holies is. It is a cube the Ark of the Covenant inside a cube. And the Satan always wanting to emulate as closely as he can truth, it only makes sense that the false faith is marching around a cube in Mecca. Numbers 10:33. So the Ark leaves for three days. Wow, Jesus said, what? The Ark leaves for three days. So once again, all we're doing is we are intriguing you with the facts that the word, what has been, shall be. And anyone that prophesies, if it does not align with a scriptural pattern, a president case, so to speak, then their prophecy probably is in error. Numbers 10. And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And when it rested, he said, Isn't that amazing? that that's exactly what Christ did. He left the mountain of the Lord. But we're not talking about Sinai because Sinai gendereth into bondage. The mountain of the Lord is Moriah. And this is exactly where Christ left. He left us for three days from Mount Moriah. That's where he was crucified at Golgotha. So all these hidden nuances share and show us this is what garnishes and puts the finishing touches on our faith to where we no longer live you know, when we first get into this, and I see so many people that never progress beyond this, where faith to them is a fuzzy feeling that must be generated and through loud, boisterous, or whatever, how they feel. When you mature in faith, your feelings 
are awesome, but they have nothing to do with your faith. Let me express to you the difference between a professional, a champion, and a warrior, and a common person in the kingdom of God. A professional, a champion, and a warrior, and a common person can all produce when they feel like it. But a professional, a champion, and a warrior differentiates itself from a commoner in the fact that even when they don't feel like it, they can produce. This is the dividing line between the wannabes and the have arrived. Because our feelings must be negated. Christ himself did not feel like going to the cross. He prayed, as it were, into great drops of blood and if my mind recalls correctly, he even made the statement, if it be so, let this cup pass from me. That doesn't sound like someone eager to go to Calvary. But a champion, even when they don't feel like it, can still produce the walk of righteousness that God has called us to. And uh, I'm missing the mark today. I'm sorry I'm not staying on the lesson. Okay, so the Gentiles wanted to know what to do with the ark. They have now captured the ark. We uh, saw some of the cities that the ark was taken to. At 1 Samuel 5 and 8, And they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? Now let's look at this. In Matthew 27, Pilate says, What shall I do with the ark of God which is Christ? What has been, I'm, I'm going to, Drill this into our heads. When you first get into reading your Bible the first five, six, eight years, what you think is not important and you skim over is the most important portions. And until your eyes are opened to the fact that God has a book that can be understood, because many times we almost became a portion of a movement of Christianity that has negated study of the word because we don't think it can be understood. Now God that crucified Christ in his mind before the foundation of the world certainly did not write a manual and leave it for you that could not be understood. But it is the way we approach it through an American mind-taught methodology that makes it to where we can't understand. Rule of first mention I covered before we turned on the recorder but also what has been shall be. And therefore, just because pictures of what has been do not pop out to us as to what shall be, their picture is there. And God is wanting to illuminate that thing. Just as you're looking at the little things that I'm sharing with you in Scripture, there's no book for these things. You should be seeing things as well. And if you're not, then it's possible that you're not spending time meditating on the Word as much as you are meditating on other things because what you love is what you will spend time with. The ark leads the way into the promised land 2,000 cubits before the children of the promise. Now I know y'all got this one. Why was the ark placed 2,000 cubits ahead of the tribes of Israel? Well, Joshua 3, verses 3 and 5, for those of you that want scriptural reference. Same reason Jesus has gone in 
the promised land 2,000 years before you and I. It's all a picture. What has been shall be. He has led the way. 2,000 years ahead of us. He is the first fruits. What's first fruits? Another lesson. So as we look at what we've just seen, we look at the cloud and the pillar of fire. The Lord manifests his presence with the cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. It would rest above the tabernacle, directly above the mercy seat. And when the cloud of the pillar of fire moved, the children of Israel moved and followed it. And I think this would uh, be a good place to interject a couple of things and leave this subject of the ark for just a moment. You've got to remember, the, the ark was what was out front. And you've also got to remember that as you study the priesthood and the courses of priests, that this movable structure... The ark was never seen, even though it was taken through the wilderness. No one was allowed to see it. It was invisible. No, it didn't have magic dust put on it. It had a special coverings put over it because no one was allowed to see it. Only the high priest could see this thing. And then the sons of her own that had specific functions to cover the items that they would walk through the wilderness with. Now, I said that to say this. So let's just for a moment recognize the fact that the ark with all of the things we've aforementioned was a prefigurement of leading us in our walk. So we've got to remember God would not allow them to leave the instruction mountain, Mount Sinai, until this item was built and until the tabernacle was built. We've already mentioned in lesson one that God knew they could not possibly make it without his presence and his leading and his guiding. That's going to be the first thing you learn in life when you're trying to balance and navigate your walk is the art of following the Lord. And everything in life, especially where we are now 2,000 years later, 6,000 years after the creation of Adam, has, the heat has been turned up to where the proverbial frog doesn't even realize it's about to boil. And the things that we find of utmost importance usually have nothing to do with where is the presence of God. So what we see is, is we see when we look at number one, there were 41 encampments that God took them to as they wandered in a circle in the wilderness there in the Sinai. The first one, they only they were there 19 years before they could begin to learn what they had to learn. But you've got to remember that whenever God sent out the 12 spies and Moses was commanded to do that, that those 12 spies that went through the land and then they came back, they viewed out the land 40 days and two of them that had an excellent spirit said, yeah, it may be full of giants, but we can overcome the land. The other ten gave an evil report. So therefore, by their faith, by their faith is as far as God could lead them. God was ready to take them right into the promised land. It wasn't any 40-year journey whatsoever. He was ready to take them into that promised land. So what we see is, is in these 41 encampments where the Ark of the Covenant leads the way, 
we see that there is a lesson in each one of those, and I just encourage you to study that. All right, I'm going to jump back to the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so the measurements of the Ark, and we mentioned to you, if you want to know how long Moses' staff was, well, it couldn't have been longer than 45 inches because it was placed in the Ark. So, once again, you know, we believe it, so it must be real when Moses has that big, beautiful, seven-foot-long staff and uh, Charlton Heston parts the waters with it. Probably wouldn't fit in the ark, would it? The other thing we see, so uh, we've mentioned the three arcs in Scripture. So what are we doing here? Well, I'm using God's Word like a rock to free you. The Bible says use it like a rock, use it like a hammer to break the rock, because what we're finding out is it's hard to let go of mental images. Been raised to pray to Mary, it's hard to let go of. But what we have to do is let every man be a liar and the word of God be true. And if we don't have a heart that is willing to lay down any weight that separates us from the truth of the word. So, you know, it's going to be tough for me, but I'm just going to believe that Moses' rod was only 45 inches long. <laughs> okay. Uh, what else was in the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was 2.5 cubits long, which is about 45 inches in length. Uh, and about a cubit and a half, was a cubit and a half wide, about 27 inches. So it was a cubit and a half high, about 27 inches. And there's the picture of it that you're looking at. So what was the contents of the ark are listed in Hebrews 9 and 4. And they show God's desire to protect, to provide, and to bring life to his people. And we know this as we study the contents that were placed in the ark. And I'll mention these and then... Uh, this is a good place to stop lesson three. So the contents of the ark that are listed in Hebrews 9 and 4 are these. Number one, the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. God protects. And we've covered how he put the uh, mercy seat over these Ten Commandments. So these are the things that were important to the Lord. He also had them put a jar of manna. God provides. There was no way for them to survive in the wilderness without the miraculous provision of God. And this, I think, is one of the hard things for all of us to imprint in the stony tablets of our heart, and that is the fact that your job is not your provider. Please don't limit God. God is your provider. God is your provider. And I'm not negating the importance of great jobs and skills and all the things you have, but do not ever praise your job as being your provider. Your provider is God. The next thing we see is Aaron's rod, which budded and bore fruit, showing that God was able to bring life out of a dead stone. In other words, resurrection. So he's our protector, he's our provider, he's our resurrection power, and all of these things are included in this Ark of the Covenant, the plan of God, which is overshadowed by the mercy and the cloud of God. So I hope something said in this lesson will benefit your faith.